Hello everyone and welcome to Into the Wild, your weekly podcast all about wildlife conservation and nature. I am your host, Ryan Dalton. Thanks uh, for clicking uh, that play button on the podcast. Really appreciate that. Cheers. It's Friday. It's, what's the time? It's 16.20. I've had a cup of tea because tonight I'm celebrating my birthday. I was, I was 33. 33. <laughs> my life. Um, <laughs> I swear to God I was 27 not long ago and then suddenly I blinked and I'm 33 but I'm going out for my birthday tonight so I'm going to go for dinner and have some drinks with some friends it's going to be lush and I had a lovely week on the boat but you guys don't care about well I hope you care about that but that's not why you're here to listen to that um you're here for Into the Wild, so thanks for tuning in. I wanted to say we've had quite a few new subscribers recently and, and quite a few new followers on Twitter and Instagram, so I assume the new followers are also listening, maybe not. But I wanted to just say hello to everyone that has recently joined the Into the Wild Nature Nerd gang. How you doing? Welcome to the show. Lovely to have you on the journey. And I kind of wanted to recap on a few things because we are a weekly wildlife conservation and nature-based podcast. So we talk about everything to do with the natural world, whether it's to do with wildlife conservation, something specific in nature like an animal, an environment, an issue. And we explore conservational, hopefully more solutions than problems. But there is one thing I thought I'd better recap on, and also for... Uh, long-term listeners as well is why the hell are we talking about trophy hunting so much that should be a topic that we're like boo get rid of but i wanted to kind of like do a bit of a recap on what's going on so um i tell you what let's do the recap now oscar can you put the sting in right now let's do this one two three recap So in 2020, about six months after I started the podcast, um, I had a chat with a UK conservation scientist who had been on the podcast before about trophy hunting online. This was not on the podcast. He started to share with me information that I'd never heard before and it debunked things that I thought I already knew. And I thought if I had listened to him on the podcast when he was talking about insects, why would I not listen to him about this? Why would I have trust in something that my heart aligns to, but not have trust in something he's saying, even if my mind doesn't automatically think that's right. So we had this discussion and then I thought I should do a podcast on this. But I do want to talk to Western scientists about something happening in Africa or an African nation. I wanted to talk to people that live in the country where we are talking about. So I arranged a podcast with three Namibian people um, in very different job roles to talk to me about trophy hunting within Namibia. It was one of our highest, it still is one of our highest downloaded episodes. You can listen to it by googling um, Into the Wild podcast trophy hunting and uh, our Uh, Podcast is there with Maxi Lewis, Lorna Dax, and John Willimmer. But about two months after that podcast being released, I was still getting replies saying, These people are talking. (laughs) They're not real. They were paid to talk. And I thought, This is so weird. Why is this happening? So I had a chat with Adam and uh, Professor Adam Hart, who was a UK conservation scientist. I spoke to some friends and was like, Why? Why won't people believe people? And then someone said, Well, you know, hearing is one thing, seeing is another. And I was like, oh my God, you've planted a seed in my head. So that was the journey of me suddenly going, well, we must make a film. Now, the Beyond the Trigger, which is something you might have heard me reference before, was not always meant to be a film. It was meant to be a podcast. The plan was to get some funding to go out to Namibia, go to some conservancies, talk to local people and get a vibe of what's going on. 
the more the project went on, the more we thought, there's more to this. So we ended up creating a film. The film has just come out. We've done two premieres, one in London, one in Windhoek in Namibia, and we're about to do our online premiere on October 20th. The online premiere will be a YouTube live where the show will be welcomed by yours truly and there'll be a Q&A with yours truly and some people that feature in the film as well. And all you have to do to join us in that discussion and watching the film is follow the ticket link in the write-up of this episode or find it on our social media. You just book a free ticket and you get sent a confirmation email with the YouTube link and then you're ready to go. It will be at 7pm British time so make sure you get your, your, your world clocks correct on the 20th of October on YouTube Live. And that is a summary, pretty much, of why we've explored trophy hunting and what it means to some people in communities in Namibia. Poof. That was actually quite hard work. Right, well, there's a bit of a recap for you about why we talk about trophy hunting. I guess I have to say this. I am not pro-trophy hunting. This is not a hunting podcast. We do not say, you see, it's all good. Go shoot something because that's, that's, not, <laughs> that's not what I think. So I don't say it. It's pretty simple. What I believe, what Into the Wild believes is listening to people that are directly affected or have direct experience with the topic, just like we do with any other topic we talk about. If I want to talk about hedgehogs, I'll talk to Hugh Warwick, a hedgehog conservationist and enthusiast in the UK. If I want to know more about the ecology at NEP safaris, I'll talk to Penny Green, the head ecologist at NEP Estate. It makes sense to talk to the people that are directly involved with it. So Beyond the Trigger is all about community-based conservation, going somewhere, finding local community people that would like to talk to us about a topic and hearing what they have to say. On that note, let's move on to this very special episode of Into the Wild. Now, people that have not literally just joined the Nature Nerd Club will know that I've recently got back from my trip in Namibia. Uh, the main reason why I went there was to screen the film. But whilst I was there, I did some more chats with people from different areas and different regions at different events. So basically, we're going to do a two-part episode of conservation in Namibia. Now, this episode starts actually later on in my journey, whilst I'm travelling with Maxi Lewis, who is the CEO of an organisation called NAXO, which stands for Deep Breath, the Namibian Association for Community-Based Natural Resource Management Support Organisations. The community starting trusting science. Really? It takes time. Yeah. Not that they get rid of their traditional knowledge systems because the scientists also appreciate that. So it's building that trust between your knowledge and my knowledge and see really where we agree on issues and so forth. Maxi and I were on the road to a conservancy called Nangu. They, they hunt but it's not as big as the other conservancies here. Right. Uh, because they actually depend quite a lot on, on ecotourism and other activities within their conservancy. Right. Nangu is home to a beautiful mountain called Spitzkopper. Because of Spitzkopper and with the addition of historic cave paintings there, Nangu has good ecotourism in the area with a community camp and rest place, but they also have trophy hunting in the area. The species mainly used for trophy hunting in this area are kudu, springbok and gemsbok as well. 
we were on our way to meet a man called Neville Hendricks. Now, Neville has been a subsistence farmer, meaning he farms for his own use, for a long time, but has recently, in fact, it was the first time Maxie had met Neville when I had met him as well, been elected for the Conservancy Manager role. Now, before I welcome this chat with Neville, I have to add that on arrival, Maxie and I also unexpectedly got invited in on a Conservancy Committee meeting. This was the first chance for me to see and hear how things were passed on from the community to Maxie and vice versa. It was a privilege to sit and be a fly on a wall, but what I wasn't expecting was for the questions to then come my way. Neville, along with some of the game guards that sat in, were asking me about why the UK government wants to impose a ban on trophy hunting imports. Now, there's a lot to unpack there, and I didn't always have clear answers for the guys, but the discussion was real and will stay with me. I genuinely saw worry and concern on their faces and heard it in what they said. When lives depend even just a little bit on something, the fear of it being affected is strong. But let's put a pin on that for now, because we're going to go back to Neville. I wanted to hear more about Mangu Conservancy and life as a farmer in an area that has jackals and leopards. I will start by saying that this area, those, do you call them mountains? They're not mountains. Yeah, um, they're actually mountains. Yeah, um, They are? It's like a... Uh, it's so beautiful. Spitzkopper. Spitzkopper, yeah. yeah. It's actually one of our national monuments in Namibia, one of the most beautiful uh, it really mountains is. that you will find here. Like I've driven around with Maxi so many places around Namibia and as we were driving through this, it just stood out. Like the land was so flat and then it's, it's suddenly... It's magnificent. It's yeah. um, one of our prides and joys. Yeah. That's why we actually want to conserve it so that this magnificent piece of... Um, I candy. I can actually call it <laughs> yeah. eye candy. Can bring tourists towards us and then also uh, brings in the money for us yeah. as well. Uh, but what this mountain also entails, it's also our livelihoods as well because mm. we've got some rock paintings there that the tourists come in. Yes. Is it the white lady near here? No, no, no. Uh, no the no. white lady is actually also near us, just yeah. about 100 kilometers in yes. Greece. But um, these these mountains are actually, uh, here at Spitzkobo, we also have a few rock paintings as well that the tourists can view at the launch, uh, mm. at the launch area. And also, these people sell um, uh, crafts here right. on the road for the, uh, for the tourists as well. So tourism is actually mainly our main source of income. For the conservancy. So for the conservancy and for the community as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, or the conservancy is actually the community. It's the same, yeah. <laughs> yeah the same so it brings in um, it brings in the funds for us, and this is how we make our living here. Mm. This is our main source of income. So there's a tourism. It's so we call tourism. that eco tourism. Eco tourism. So photo tourism and things like yeah, that. Yes, yes. So how? So I guess oh, let's start. Let's. Do you want to introduce yourself? I yes. Um, I, um, I'm Neville Hendricks. I'm the manager of Enco Conservancy here. Um, I actually newly appointed manager. So I'm in my beginning stages, but I've lived in the area for so many years. So I would like to think of myself since I was a young boy. I was already a manager. I was managing. Yes. I was already managing. Uh, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but uh, when we come to when we come to certain issues, uh, or let's say also sources of income, mm. uh, tourism also brings in trophy hunting yeah um it is actually one of our sources of income as well but it is but it is actually it contributes a significant part to to, to the our whole yes, of life. yeah yes yes to our whole way of life 
So how so were you born in I can never say the name of the conservancy. Should can I try one more time? Conservancy? Thank oh, you. Yes. Is that right? Yes, that's got it right. Yes. Correct. <laughs> you got the kid right. I can never remember it, but if someone says it, I can repeat it straight away. Okay. okay. Um so were you born in this I was this actually region? not born here, I was born in the Corifas area. In Corifas, where yes, we came from today. Where you right. guys came from today. I was actually born there, but I kind of grew up in this area as well. Mm. But but mainly due to due to the fact that we don't have a lot of development in the rural areas, yeah. we go out to schools uh, in the urban Ah, uh, okay. So then, so you were schooled further down this one? Yes, like uh, boarding schools in Swakopmund. Mm. Uh, okay. I grew up, or I could say I actually also grew up in Swakopmund. Right. Which yeah. is also also a tourism heavy based, tourism area, right? Based, yeah. um, town, not yeah. city. Yeah, I've been in this area for all my life. So what? So what's the community like? Tell me about the community in the area. What kind of people are they? What? Uh, what? What are the most? What are the most common types of jobs? What do people do here? Okay, like I mentioned before, actually, just to answer your last question, like I mentioned before, tourism-based mm. activities are our main source of income. Right. Um, the people are Damara Nama-speaking people. They, we can also call them Kwe Kwe Gohop as well. Mm -hmm. Here in these areas, you would mostly find communal farmers. The subsistence farming that we do, they, uh, they just have a few goats, a few sheep, and mm -hmm. then also a backyard garden as well. So, um, um, and then tourism, uh, like I said, is the main source of income. But then the subsistence farming comes from generations and generations right. and generations right. uh, way before us. Mm. So we've actually known that way of living all our lives because I grew up at a farm also. And, mm. I've, um, and I was also, or let me say, know the farming activities. But here in this area, you would actually mostly find elderly people. I've noticed that okay. younger people are moving out of the areas mm. because like, for example, the COVID situation, yeah. that uh, most of the lodges were closed and they were retrenching people. So then uh, so then the young people moved away to the urban areas in order to get, get make jobs. Living. And make yes. living. Yeah. 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 Um, so tourism is the main chunk of income for yes. the conservancy. But like you said, it's a whole picture. We've got to remember there's other things that need to be done or need to come through. And you mentioned trophy hunting. Now, my listeners that are listening now knows that's a topic that I've delved into a lot on the podcast, but we're going to talk about it now. Mm -hmm. So what part does trophy hunting play for the community and the conservancy here? Okay, uh, what basically happens, what I just want to explain it a little bit mm. in layman's terms is uh, when a hunter comes, uh, uh, most of the people actually do not understand this part of it. And that is actually why I would just like to clarify yeah, it. Please. Because um, uh, uh, people... Uh, people in the western countries do not necessarily understand what it means because they think a trophy hunting it's maybe like a trophy wife it's just an extra thing that you can have but no yeah. i would like to say no and i would like to go on record as to say um your your information is misplaced and you have the wrong information what happens normally is that we get quotas to mm. to hunt um, a certain number of animals in let's say in three years or in a year and so okay. on and these um and these quotas are are done with support organizations. Uh, they actually calculate this for us, and it is based on scientific terms, and mm. not just uh, you look at ten animals. Oh, so you can go shoot two? No, mm. it, is, it is actually done in scientific terms, uh, and then they come up with these quotas and then allocate them to us. So we have to, we have to attract international hunters because this is where where the huge bulk of money will come mm -hmm. in. If we attract local hunters, we won't make as much as we do from trophy hunting. So it makes sense to go to internationally? It, it, yeah. it makes complete sense to go internationally because that is where we get more money. Yeah. A local hunter will just want the meat. Right. Whereas a trophy hunter wants actually the, just the wants the trophy yeah. and then also leaves the meat for us. Yeah. They they actually leave the so meat for us. So benefit number well. two after the money. Benefit exactly. number right, two as right. well. So um, 
the thing that needs to be addressed also is the fact that when this money comes in, when we receive, let's say, for example, we receive 1,000 Namibian dollars, 1,000 Namibian dollars from the trophy hunter, this money is taken and then we use this money, some for administrative purposes to run the conservancy, mm -hmm. like, you know, running costs and so forth. But 50% of this money goes back into the community, it gets plowed back into community. They don't receive monetary terms. Um, they don't receive it in monetary terms, yeah. like, a, like a monthly allowance or something yeah. like that. It mostly happens in community and group work. What mostly happens is that we identify needs. Actually, the people identify the needs like, themselves yeah, yeah. because they complain to the conservancy and then tell us, <laughs> no, we want some water. Yeah. So then what we do is uh, drilling a borehole is very expensive. Mm. It is, let's say, hundreds of thousands of Namibian dollars oh, wow, that can okay. go into yeah. it. So uh, a local farmer like myself, I'm actually a permanent farmer, mm -hmm. does not necessarily have enough money to bore a hole. And natural water catchment areas are not prominent anymore because of climate change. And mm. that is also an issue that I would like to delve into a little bit. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's, I'll remind you. We'll come okay. back to it. Yeah, okay. yeah. So then what happens is that they identify these areas and then what they do is we use this money mm. to, to drill a borehole for the people mm. or we use it to, let's say, pay for studies for young learners that get accepted into universities or maybe even if it's just a registration fee or a little bit of the accommodation yeah. as well, just to help these farmers that source of income is just from the subsistence farming. Yeah. So they don't necessarily do it on a commercial basis. So there's no money. So they need to send their kids to schools. Our country is not so rich as to give us free education for yeah. We only recently started off with free primary education, but we will get there. We will we'll become get a developed yeah. country. Yeah. I, and, uh, and I'm telling you by 2030 to 2050, <laughs> um, I know I'm an optimist, but yeah. <laughs> I like that. So, yes. But also, this is what I try and I've said to people before. What, maybe, is it 36 years independent? Yes. Yeah, 32 years. Well, 32 years. It's still very new, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it is new. It is new. But uh, I think that we'll become a developed country. Yeah. Even if it's not in my lifetime, I would like my child and my children also to yeah. grow up in an area that uh, has everything. But uh, coming back again to, to the benefits that are being mm. distributed to the people, the Conservancy allocates, or, or the members actually tell you what they want, and then we try to divide this money that we get from trophy hunting, right. together with what we get from tourism, together with what we get from, let's say, uh, photo tourism. So these all contribute towards the income for the Conservancy. Yeah. And then right. we allocate at least 50% towards um, community development. And it can be things such as capacity building as well. Yeah. We can train game uh, game, game guards and uh, we train receptionists, we train cooks. Mm. There are lots of projects that are going on mm. within the community as well. And it, it is just helped by these uh, amounts that are received from, from um, like I said, like trophy hunting exactly. and uh, other ecotourism uh, initiatives. Hey, sorry to interrupt the episode, Nature Nerds. It's Ryan, your host here. I just want to give you a quick shout out about something. Into the Wild always aims to be a free show, accessible for everyone. However, running it is not free. If you would like to support Into the Wild and say thanks, then you can do so by visiting ko-fi.com forward slash into the wild pod. The link is in the write up of this episode. By doing this and buying us a coffee, you are helping the future of Into the Wild. Thanks very much, and back onto the show. And, and the quotas, I, I had a chat with someone recently that questioned 
the quotas saying once you're given the quotas does the community decide or does the conservancy or the community decide how those quotas are used do you decide whether you use them for own use or do you decide whether they go to trophy or are you told how to use them no um what what happens is that when these quotas are allocated we actually have the final say as to whether it can go for own use or for trophy hunting but like i mentioned previously mm. before if it's for own use we get less money yes. for yeah, yeah. for uh, let's say one springbok or one kudu yeah uh, as opposed to a trophy hunter coming in and then hunting these animals just for the trophy and also leaving the the meat behind yeah the meat so it's actually we're actually covering on both on both sides it's actually <laughs> own use and trophy hunting it, so it's it makes so much sense when you <laughs> say like that. i can picture myself in the situation going two birds one stone here we can actually do two things with doing one thing um so you wanted to talk about climate change because this is we had a brief chat with it when we when i met you a minute ago and i said to you you know in in England and in London, we're feeling the impacts of the climate crisis and the change in weather patterns and the more extreme weather. How has that impacted this region for you? Okay, I would just like to use the example that I wanted to use um, with regards to the community getting a borehole, right? Mm. Uh, drilling a borehole. Okay, like I said, the catchment, the natural catchment areas are depleting. Our groundwater levels are going down because right. we had a uh, we had a big drought for. I think uh, I'm speaking under correction, but I think for about 11 years mm. that we did not receive good rainfall. So only last year we received above average rainfalls, but then it is a little bit backdated. So yeah. it needs to come back. Again. It's a balance again. So um, the natural catchment areas are going down because of climate change, mm. because of the drought situation. The drought has been caused by climate change um, and, and then it causes desertification. So what that means is that we need to bore deeper holes mm. and then we don't have the money and we don't have the funds to drill $120,000 for borehole. Yeah. And um, uh, we only have social grants and the person gets $1,300 Namibian per month. Yeah. It does not make sense. Even if that person takes a loan, they will not be able to repay it in their lifetime. Yeah. And these are just the older, uh, the pensioners that are getting these social grants. Mm. It's not the younger people. Okay, so how it is affecting us is that we are unable to get to our water. So we need to get to our water and we don't have funds to get to the water. What the trophy hunting uh, is actually doing is it is giving us a little bit of access to some water points. Not all of our problems yeah. are being sorted by trophy hunting. Please don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah. Not all of our issues are being <laughs> yeah. sorted, yeah. but it helps a little bit because... Yeah. If there are 10 farms and at least five farms can get a little bit of water, we, we can walk further distances to get to water. You just make it a little bit closer for the person. Mm -hmm. it, mm -hmm. it really helps. As a farmer, we actually do have a lot of uh, water issues. And yeah. that means that we must actually go away or move away from, from um, large livestock like cattle, donkeys and horses, which actually have a better income when you think about it. Mm -hmm. But due to the fact that there's less water, we need to move to uh, small goats, sheep, and also to chicken farming, mm -hmm. rabbit farming and so forth, because yeah. we cannot make it with the water. Yeah. So climate change, and this is just one way that climate change has actually affected yeah, right. us. Yeah. But I would like, I would, uh, I wanted to use the water example, mm. just because water is life. And exactly. without water, it's the main resource, anything. right? Yeah, yes. absolutely. So um, I wanted to use that example to explain how how climate change is affecting mm. us, because um, due to the fact that there was drought, 
we don't have a lot of vegetation cover. Mm. When we don't have a lot of vegetation cover, the rainfall patterns change. The rain, uh, rainfall becomes less and less and less every year. Mm. This year, or let me say, yes, this year, in the beginning of the year, we received above average rains. Now we have a lot of veg, uh, now we have a lot of food for the animals in the felt. Mm. But now we don't have a lot of animals because of the drought. Dry, right, so right. now um, the problems are arising. Felt fires, like forest fires, is what you guys yes, call yeah, them. Forest fires, you don't yeah. necessarily have forest. No, no, that's very we different. But felt. The felt fires. Yeah, okay. this is this is a semi-arid country, so yeah. not uh, not a lot of forest. Not a woodland. So <laughs> woodland, yes. So um, yes, it is a uh, it is impacting us in a very big way. Climate yeah. change. Throughout my travel last time and this time as well, I, I hear a lot about farmers and I hear a lot about conflicts, but I've never, I think. For, this is the longest conversation I've had with someone that is actually a farmer that farms day to day. So, you know, you told me briefly in there you have conflicts. So, I mean, what predators do you have around here? What are the conflicts with farming in this area? Okay, um, in this area specific, we've got problems with leopards. We've really? got problems with jackals. These animals actually come into the kraal and then they bite our animals. They, they, they literally eat our animals. And like I mentioned before, because of the water crisis and the drought, our animals have become less and less yeah, and less. Yeah. So um, let's just say, for me, for example, uh, I farm with goats and chicken. Last year, if I can remember correctly, I have 46 goats currently, but then I would uh, I lost 11 goats to human wildlife conflicts. Like uh, sometimes you're not even sure whether it was a jackal, it was a leopard. It just happens. It just happens. Yeah. It just happens. And it literally takes out a huge chunk from your pocket. And this is this is actually, or before this manager position, this was my source of income, my livelihood. So imagine losing 11 goats. Uh, it's how much percent maybe out of 46, maybe 20%? So yeah, 20% of your yeah, income. Just somewhat gone. 20% if I can mention yeah. that roughly. So I, I lost 20% of my income. And that is a, a huge chunk for someone who lives in a rural area for someone who is not permanently employed, mm. to someone who makes a living from these animals. So what happens with, with regards to conservation and human-wildlife conflict is that where the conservation comes in is that there's a certain amount of money that gets put away for human-wildlife conflicts. Mm -hmm. So when your animal gets bitten, you can go to the conservancy and then you report this. And then me as the manager and then the game guards, uh, sometimes, not not sometimes, but we have to visit these areas. Yeah. It just depends who is the nearest in that area. It might be me, the manager, or it might be one of my game guards as well that goes out and sees uh, and then takes a few pictures. There's a certain procedure that the game guards or me um, or the conservancy must follow in order to record these activities, in order to, to kind of have like a bookkeeping system mm -hmm. and proof also. Like these farmers... Your um, your animal was bitten by a leopard, but yet again, you have to prove that it has been bitten. Right. They don't have camera phones because yeah. it's um, it's a third world generation or what must I say? It's, yeah. it's a poor area. Yeah. So then we assist these people to go and take a few pictures if, if they cannot, but we do visit the areas. So what happens is that there's a certain amount that is actually calculated based on what type of animal it is because a goat and let's say a cow will not have the same price. value right yeah yeah it won't have the same value so it is just a little bit of that amount that the farmer gets it's just to help you out a little bit mm -hmm. it's about 50 percent less than 50 percent of what the animal is worth or the value of the mm -hmm. animal but that in itself helps also because you have not lost everything you at least have a little bit left that you can claim back from the conservancy and then 
Yeah, and then you can start start from there. Yeah. Because sometimes there are rare occurrences or rare cases that these animals actually go in and then finish off the whole crowd. Yeah, well, I've heard stories. Yes, I've heard yes, that. Yeah, like, that they just, they just, even if they're not eaten, they're just sometimes... Bitten. Have I heard leopards that just go in and make, might teach cubs how to hunt and then just kill everything? Yeah, and then um, we call them, they're just blood suckers. Yeah. Oh, really? They're like vampires. So I can say something like the Twilight Saga now. <laughs> Um, they are they are actually like vampires. We call them bloodsuckers because they just come in, then they bite, and, go. And, and then they go, and then they bite, and then they go, and then you lose out on everything. Yeah, it is it is so disheartening to see when when a communal farmer, someone that makes his living from uh, from these animals, loses everything, mm. and then they've got nowhere else to start. Now, whereas conservation helps a little bit in that regard, so that that farmer can at least purchase a few goats um, from. From the whole crowd that was and build up again and then build up again. Otherwise, where would that farmer go? What ha if that if that didn't happen? If the conservancy model wasn't here, and that and that kept happening to you, yes, or another farmer, what would the mentality be? What what would happen there? What, what how would that farmer? I don't think that there's any no no there is nowhere else to go. There's nowhere else to turn to because the government is also in a. Uh, not in a problem, but we we live in tough economic times, yeah. and that is evident all over the world. Yeah. So, for me as a farmer to go to the government and tell them that no, how many farmers will stand there at the government gates and then ask? Yeah. There's nowhere else to turn to. Like um, to when when I was permanently farming, not any source of income. You can't really sleep at night. Mm. You when your dogs bark, you have to get up and then you have to stand with a flashlight just so that you can chase away these animals, or then you have to make noise with some type of thing so that they can be right. chased away. Uh, but it is it is actually a little bit, oh, not a little bit, it is it is sad and bad. Yeah. Yes. Is so, it? But there's nowhere else to go. There's nowhere else to go. I would be, let's say, on the streets. if all Without that. Yeah. Without the conservation help, I would be on the streets, literally. It, um, if all my animals were, uh, or in the event that all my animals they were. were. You have a family here, right? Yes, I do. I have a little girl. Uh, I'm not married yet, unfortunately. No. <laughs> Me neither. Don't worry. Okay. Don't judge me. <laughs> but what? What? I mean, you live in an area with leopards and jackals, and you have a family here. What? Does that worry? Not worry. I guess worry you. Yeah. I'm talking very British. Here. Yes, very British. Yes, yes. Because um, I actually grew, or we grew up around these animals. Yeah. We have learned to live with them. We, we don't necessarily shoot a leopard or kill a leopard because it bit, uh, bit the goat as well. Mm. Because you are also living in the area of the animals. Mm -hmm. It's uh, like, like as the world is getting bigger, we are moving inland towards, yeah. towards where the animals are. It's as, uh, like the case there in the DR Congo, where the people are invading the space of the gorillas as well. So what I would suggest is, it's not necessarily to leave out the people. The world is getting bigger and we need more space. We need to go into these areas where the elephants are, where the rhinos are, where the leopards are. Mm. So we have been living with these animals without a problem. But we must learn to live with the animals instead of le leaving the animals on one side and then overpopulating our yeah. urban yeah. areas. Yeah. And then uh, there are also problems in the urban areas because of the overpopulation. Everybody's running to the urban area for a source of income, to make a living. And then what happens is no jobs. So then what happens? You become a bum, you live off scraps, you, yeah. you are on the streets in the urban area. Whereas you could have made a living here in your rural area with your mum, helping your mum, not leaving her behind, mm. helping your mum to make a living for you guys yeah. as a young man. You know, mm. instead of 
running to the urban areas, but then there's no life without these tourism benches, like I mentioned. Yeah. We need to coexist. Uh, let me put it like that, with the animals. Mm. And the best way to do it is is the conservation module. Mm. And uh, leaving out these animals uh, and not necessarily using these animals would actually mean that we don't look after the animals. So if you give someone ownership of something, then they feel that they must look after it. Yeah, yeah. it. But if you, uh, or let's say not, not you, but if, if someone suggests that we must not live off leopards, like you can't gain anything from the leopards, mm -hmm. what happens is that, that that leopard will become a nuisance for me. If that leopard becomes a nuisance for me, I will shoot it. And uh, just because my life is in danger, just like you, when you're in an urban area, mm -hmm. when someone approaches you, you feel like you're in danger. And then what do you do? Protection. Naturally, you protect yourself and that is self-defense. So if you defend yourself and you shoot someone uh, that is maybe trying to attack you or maybe you just want to ask for directions, you don't know, but then you've already <laughs> shot the person. It's the same thing with the leopard. Mm. If, uh, if that leopard becomes a nuisance for me, I will shoot it. Right now, I live off the leopard. It helps my way of living. Mm. So then I want to protect the leopard right now. No one will come in here and shoot that leopard because it's mine. Yeah. Yes. Not not necessarily mine, but it's but ours. It's, it's, your, it's your yeah. It's where you live. Yes. It's your community. It's your it's your. Well, yeah. It's everything. Yes, it means yes, something yes. to you. Yeah. So it means something to me. So now yeah. I want to protect it. But if you tell me that I cannot live off the leopard, what will happen is we will start shooting the leopards because it, they are just a nuisance. It's just someone that you feel unsafe with. So what? So what do you do? You shoot them so that they don't take off from your from your source of living. Mm -hmm. You know. So. We need to coexist. And I think, personally, I think the best module is the conservancy module. Mm. Just my... Uh, I, I was going to ask you what you would say to people in England, but I think you just said it. <laughs> 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 I was going to ask, what would you say to people, well, in any country, yes. that wants to take away hunting tourism or trophy hunting, whatever we're calling it, conservation I would, hunting? Whatever. I would actually... Uh, there was just something that I wanted to mm. re-emphasize also, and I want this to be heard by the masses. I want people to be educated about what is going on. Before you make a decision, before you start making accusations, before you want to accuse us or something like that, come down here. And please come and call me. My name is Neville Hendricks. I will show you. <laughs> I will show you how we are living. I'm the person on the ground. I'm the one that is living with the animals. And I feel I'm the best one to actually decide whether trophy hunting should go on or not. And not you. And I feel that if, if you do come here, no. I don't actually feel, I know that I will be able to change your mind. <laughs> I'm an optimist, like I you said. You are an optimist, yes, yeah. I'm an optimist, but I would like you to come and visit our very beautiful country. Mm. I would like you to come and see how we are coexisting with these animals and how they are contributing towards our daily life. It is very important for you to know before you make a ridiculed decision. Mm. I would like to call it that. Well, Neville, thank you so much for talking with me. It's mm. been a great chat. And I'm looking forward to driving around more of these uh, mountains. Awesome. <laughs> goes, awesome. I want to see a leopard, but I'm not going to do it. It won't happen. Will it? Okay, I can go and show you. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> no, no, I don't think that we'll be able to find one here oh. nearby, right? Because... It's such leopard habitat, though. Yes, yes, yes. yes it's it what is, you would classically draw as leopard habitat. Yes, yes. It's so... There's actually certain areas where, um, where they're more prominent as well. Really? Yes. 
Where do they? Is it is it in the mountains they hang out? Is it is that they have dens? Some in... of them actually do hang out within the mountains yeah. as well, because that's where they find find most of their cover and then most yeah. of their or, or let me say the springbok, which is which is the most Probably the most inside. common one yeah. here. Uh, they find that um, so in the mountainous area. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Thanks so much for talking with me. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks again for listening, everyone. If you'd like to keep up to date with the guests that have appeared in today's Into the Wild episode, then you can do so on social media. Their tags are in the write-up of this episode. Also, you can follow us on social media at Into the Wild Pod on Twitter and Into the Wild Podcast on Instagram. And if you'd like to get in touch about Into the Wild or ask any questions or suggest any ideas for some episodes, you can email me at intothewildpod at gmail.com. A quick note to say that all the opinions and expressions expressed in today's episode belong to the person that said them and do not represent those opinions held by Into the Wild or anyone that we work with or are affiliated with. Into the Wild always aims to be a free show, however running it is not free. If you'd like to support us and say thanks then you can do so by buying me a coffee. Our Ko-fi link is in the write-up of this episode. Until next time, keep well, stay safe and live the good life.